Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Okay, so when we open the book of In the Wilderness, <laughs> yes, we see numbers. Yes. So let's the numbers, the of numbers number. of numbers. <laughs> um, and so we want we, we want I, we just want to help you get through the first three chapters. If you especially the first ten chapters, it's all law, yeah. And so it can be some arduous reading. So this is part the part of my Bible I always stop reading. Yep. This is like I was like you okay. make it through Leviticus, get, man. That's, that's I made it through Leviticus. Yeah, there you go. I'm you ready limped, for something new. You limped through Leviticus. And then like three more chapters of this business. On. Yeah. Um, I think I'm done here. Yeah, but it's totally worth it to get through. Like it's totally worth it. And there's a lot of amazing stuff to see here in the first 10 chapters. And so we open up and so, in the first chapter, God speaks to Moses. That's the and, other name for numbers yep, too. It's yep, like, and he spoke. And he spoke. Yeah. Yep. And God spoke, speaks to Moses, which is a big deal because if you remember. In the tent of meeting. Yes. In the yeah. tent of meeting. That's a big deal. So it's like. If you if you kind of have this hiatus, Leviticus is like this little hiatus in between the narrative flow of Exodus and Numbers, and there we get we do get some narrative in Leviticus, but it's like God fills the tabernacle at the end of Exodus. Moses yeah. can't enter in, so the Levitical system is set up and sacrifices are made. And Moses can enter in at the end of Leviticus, and he enters in, and the Lord takes a breath and starts speaking. The first thing he says, "Okay, let's go to the New Eden." Yep. Yeah. It's, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. And so um, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to count the number of fighting men. We're going to take, this is a war census. So this is like a, kind of like conscription. You know, it's okay. like he's mustering his army. And so everyone over the age of 20, but under the age of 60, all the men are to be counted in every tribe. So there's the 12 tribes. Yeah. And um, a leader is put over every tribe to be the chief counter of that tribe. Okay. And we get a number and they go through and they count. There's this many from this tribe and this many from this tribe. And the numbers are all cal calculated and collated and they're added up at the end. And we get like 603,000 and change. Okay. So let's, we'll just say 600,000. 600,000 fighting men yep. in the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. And so all, the, all this is trying to do is like the people of Israel are ready for war. And, and, okay. the, and the reason why they're ready for war is because the land that they're going to is occupied. 
right? Which, which is a really important right. thing for us to think about. We so, won't talk about it in full because the war hasn't started yet. We'll talk about that in Joshua. So there's a, so, but we should understand that Eden is currently occupied, occupied that's right. by enemy forces. That's right, which yeah. is a huge theme of the Bible that the place where we need to be, right, the, the, the new life that God has for us, the land of the kingdom of God that he wants us to inhabit, in order to go into it, there are evil forces that must be conquered. And so, you know, in the gospel, we know that that is the spiritual forces of evil, right? Right. He puts them to open shame on the cross. He conquers them. So Satan and his legions have no more power over right. those who are in Christ. But now it's a physical battle right now. In and the I mean, the distinction between spiritual evil and physical mm. evil kings is much more blurry in oh, scripture. much more blurry. Than it probably is in our modern minds. That's right. It's like the evil kings of Canaan, the of the... The enemy occupying forces in the New Eden are animated by demonic principalities yes. and powers. Right, and, and we'll see that when we get to Canaan, and, it, yeah. and we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but first, so we, we've we've got these numbers, and so the first chapter is all numbers. Yeah, all forty six verses. Forty six <laughs> verses of numbers, um, and you get to the end of it, and you know all you're left with is. There's six hundred thousand fighting men. Cool. That was a, thanks for the edifying read. The trip. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, there's 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 something we have to look at here. Um, there's a point being made. Okay. With with this, there's I, th- I think there's several points being made. But I think before we can jump to the point that's being made, I do want to deal with a historical difficulty. Okay. Just because like it, if if someone has read it and they're like hold on, this doesn't really make a lot of sense, or you've heard other people bring this up as a reason why the Bible's uncredible. Right, I want to have an answer. There's some discrepancies between the numbers here as, and then elsewhere. Well, right? kind of. So the, 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 the discrepancy of numbers really has more to do with the tribe numberings and the clan numberings later on. So we might talk about that at a, at a future time. The, the, the difficulty with the 600,000 is, okay. let's think about that. So there's 600,000 men. Fighting age men. Fighting age men, 20 to 60. Okay. So the, most, most people would say that given the traditional size of a family of that time and the mortality rate, the overall size of the population to create 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 60 right. would have to be at least 2 million. Okay. So you have 2 million people. That is a huge civilization. Yeah. I mean, gigantic. Um, and so there are some problems. It's the state of Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so like, there are some problems that come up. There's four problems that come okay. up. So one is um, the, there's just not enough space around Mount Sinai in that region to right. hold that many people. Um, the, the provision would have been insane. So when you read about the manna and quail and the water right. that God provided, I mean, we're talking about... It wasn't just like a personal... Because like, whenever I read those stories, I'm thinking like, man, that's a, that's a really cool miracle for those people. Right. But like as the president of a nation, you have 2 million people that are starving. Yep. You're like, how on earth do I feed? Right. How do I create a system of production that can yep. feed two million people right. and the answer is you can't not yeah. in the wilderness no i mean yeah. i think two million is the population of uh like slovenia probably like <laughs> yeah like, it's or like, La- and, and maybe even latvia or something like, but there's, like there's a lot of countries there's with countries two, with two million people in them right now right. yeah <laughs> like, and, they, and they require a whole system of government agriculture and, an agricultural economy yep. an economy at all yeah. like you need a lot of infrastructure yeah. need roads right and so it's a huge number yeah. i mean we, we we really have to understand that this is a gigantic number so that's the first problem is just 
the sheer size it would just be really hard for them to think about like walking through the Red Sea and getting through the wilderness and camping around Sinai and all that stuff. Okay, two, um, the, this is the this is the big one for me. This is the okay. this is the only one for me that I'm like, okay, I got to figure this one out. So there's inconsistent numbers between this number and another number that we read here in a couple chapters. So okay. we're going to try to look at chapters one to three. And at the end of chapter three, we get another counting. Okay. And we're going to talk about why this counting happened because it's really cool. It's the redemption of the firstborn, which should take us back to the Passover in Exodus. We'll talk about that. But what happens is God has Moses have another census. And this time, all he's supposed to do is count the number of firstborn men. Right. Right. And so they count the number of firstborn men, and if you can find it in there, it's like twenty-two thousand yeah. or something uh, like that. Three twenty uh, thirty-nine. Um, 22, Wait, what? <laughs> twenty-two thousand. Uh, numbers three, verse twenty-nine. Oh, 39. okay. <laughs> I was so confused. There's twenty-two thousand firstborn. Okay. Um, and change. Um, because there's there's some that are that oh, are. Oh yeah, twenty-two thousand two hundred seventy-three. Yeah. There we verse, go. Uh, Two, yeah. So there's two hundred seventy-three that end up being redeemed uh, with money. We'll talk about that later. And so there's twenty-two thousand two hundred seventy-three firstborn. Okay, so if you think about this, just do a little math, right? Okay. Uh, we're in numbers. Let's do some math, right? Mm, and so, my favorite. If, yeah, if you think about it, um, in order for there to be two million people, right? right. Let's say you have two million people, um, and then let's say out of that, that means that there are about twenty-two thousand families. Okay. Because if every family has had a firstborn son, right, right, right then right. let's just say that there are at least. There, there are at least twenty-two thousand families. Twenty-three thousand. Twenty-three thousand. Sure. Round up. Let's round up, and some, many, several hundred families only had girls. Okay. Okay. Sure. Twenty-three thousand <laughs> families. In order for twenty-three thousand families to produce two million people or six hundred thousand fighting men, right? The family size would have had to been every couple would have had to have fifty children. Okay. Does this make sense? Yes. Okay, but. Couldn't you have like two firstborns in a family? Like the father's the firstborn, and then the father's firstborn son of his parents. Oh, but he's counted as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's counted as the firstborn of his of his family of his family. Okay. okay and okay. so, yeah, actually, that would actually make the number bigger because you would have you're talking about having more firstborns per family now. Right. And so that would actually shrink the number of family sizes and make uh, it to where there was a hundred children per family. So the problem the problem here is that. The number of firstborns and the overall population just don't quite add up, okay? Uh, so that's the second problem. So space, inconsistent numberings between the overall population and the number of firstborns. Well, in verse 43, it says, and all the firstborn males according to the number of names. Right. What does so, that mean? We, yeah, we'll get there. Okay. I, I'm, I'm just laying out the problems, oh, okay. not the, the solutions pro- that's yet. That's the problem. Stop trying that's to solve my problems. Sorry, I'm sorry. There I'm are sorry. solutions to these. <laughs> uh, number three, uh, they, they could have easily filled the promised land right away when they got in. I mean, the land of Canaan is very small. It's not big. And two million people would have edge to edge filled that sucker. And yet when we get to Joshua, there's like land left uninhabited and they're still conquering it. And so it's like... Well, it's just like Kansas. There's like whole tracts of America, (laughs) North Dakota, who lives there. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm just listing the the problems scholars have. Uh, I'm not saying these are my problems. Uh, Number four, um, there is a lot of rounding in this census. And people find that... Um, yeah, it's like thirty-two thousand two hundred. Right like, now, really? there's a couple fives at the end, and yeah. you know, uh, these are all nice round numbers: thirty-five thousand four hundred, right. sixty-two thousand seven hundred, forty-one thousand five hundred. And so it's like, okay, if, with all this rounding, 
surely there's these are symbolic numbers, right? And so right, now right, we start right. to get to the solution. So there's, there, I, I find there's two solutions that are helpful. So are we to the solutions already? Yes. The only other one that I've heard. What problem relation, or? A problem. Oh, okay. A problem is it goes back to the size thing that you mentioned. Like, So if you have 2 million people yep. wandering through a wilderness for 40 years, you should expect to find some sort of archaeological evidence oh, that, right. they, that there was a nation living in the wilderness that you should find burial plots yeah. you should find pottery it's you possible. should find the, you should find yeah. evidence that a right. civilization was here yeah the bones of animals you know like you should find things right. especially if like 7000 people are dying in one place right you should find time. some mass graves like right. but like you don't find yeah. that at then least again, not yet. yeah then again yeah so at least one that's, one, that's one, the other problem yeah, before one, yeah one not yet yeah. right for that solution and two um nomadic tribes are extremely hard to find archaeologically it's it's the with nomadic i mean two million people like yeah but still they're still moving constantly and so if you think about it it's like it, there are these settled civilizations that you know we find and you know we get we get twenty thousand years down in the soil in a deep tell yeah and we find shards of pottery and there's like people lived here for hundreds of years and we find leftovers it's like it, it it's i don't think it's too crazy to say that even if a bunch of people pass through here, mm. tens of thousands of years later, that there wouldn't be a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Anyway, there are archaeological answers to that one, right. but it is still a problem. Right, right, right. Yeah, so maybe there's five. Um, so first, the space. Okay. Right. The the land size uh, and the provision. I I one the provision one doesn't bother me because God is huge. And can do crazy miracles. And, he, and, and he, raining quail from heaven is right. a crazy miracle. If you're going to believe that he rained quail and man from heaven. You, you can, can believe that he rained enough for two million people. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So that one doesn't really bother me. Um, the the space one. And it would be necessary because as we said, like in order to feed two million people, you need the infrastructure of yep. an entire government. Right. And up, up until Exodus something... I forget the chapter when Jethro comes and like eighteen, yeah. When he tells Moses, "Here's how you should structure your government. You don't have any kind of government, and right. even then, you're a wandering government. Yeah. So you have no no real way right to build an economy. So like, if God didn't provide, everyone would have starved. Yeah, or definitely. Most people would have right, starved. Absolutely. I mean, they're in the wilderness. And how do you? You can't farm anything if <laughs> no, you're always if you're moving. moving. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. And so, um, I think that's. I don't think that's a problem. The provision. The space, um, I haven't really looked at the geography, so I'm just taking scholars' words for it. You can fit 2 million people in Manhattan. It's right. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah. No, it's very true. Yeah. No, in, uh, yeah, and Manhattan's like, what? how many miles long is Manhattan? It's not long. It's no. like, I think it's one of the most densely populated spaces right. in America. I mean, and you, right. look at, you look at Tokyo and... Right. Yeah. You can fit a lot of people in a small space. You can. With our technology yeah. now, but so, it's, but like yeah, but, yeah, and I was like, do, does that necessitate high rises? Like, but I mean, Jerusalem went during the time of Jesus would swell by oh right s- several hundred thousand people during yep. the Passover and, and Jerusalem's tiny, right? Yeah, so it's possible to have a bunch of people in a small space, right? Yep. So the space thing doesn't bother. And we're not building houses; people are living in tents, right? Like they're all packed together. Oh, I was talking about in the promised land. I oh, you were saying. Like, sure. Once they get to the promised land, there's not enough space in the promised land to hold two million people. Oh, okay. no, there is. I thought that's what you were saying. No, that was the problem three, was oh. that surely they would have just filled all of it right when they right, walked right, in. Right, right. Uh, but the other, but the, the problem is like around Mount Sinai. Oh, right. It's like, could they have fit in the plain of Sinai? And they were there for one year, right? One year, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, yeah, possibly they could have crammed in. Um, the inconsistent number one is interesting. Okay. Um. And there's not a lot of great solutions. 
the 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 biggest one the best solution i've found is that and it makes a lot of sense is that the number of firstborns that are counted are only those who have been born since the exodus okay and because they are the ones that are redeemed and so wouldn't it make sense that um these firstborn who were in exodus like or have been born since time of exodus they didn't have to be passed over right in the actual passover story and so they have to be redeemed here. They were right. redeemed by a lamb in the Exodus, those so who were already alive. There was a whole bunch. We talked a lot about the first form and the redemption of the firstborn yep. back in the Exodus episode, right. Passover. So there's a whole generation of people, the majority of people. Yep, the majority of people. Who've already been redeemed uh-huh. by the sacrifice right. at Passover. Yep. Uh, well, actually, the language in uh, Exodus 13.1, it, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, Consen- consecrate to me all the firstborn. <laughs> Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beasts, is mine. Right. So back in Exodus, there was this consecration that happened of all the firstborns. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that fulfilled this price that has to be paid. That's right. And so what's happening in numbers is there's 22,300 firstborns. Right. And up to 22,000, you don't need to pay for No, that. no, no. So so what, <laughs> what happened was, uh, so we, there's a lot going on here. So what you're saying is, first, the first thing we have to re- realize is that when God comes and claims Israel as his nation, right, he is saying that I am I'm the father of this whole nation now. And so all the firstborns then belong to me. They're mine. They're, uh, they're my right. Um, uh, and so in the Passover, though, he is giving those families back their firstborn. He's saying, instead of taking their lives like I did the Egyptians, I am passing them over and consecrating them, and now they're yours. But then we we go into the wilderness, and we're at Sinai, and there's a year gap there. And if you've got a population of two million people, you know how many of those women were pregnant? How many of them got pregnant? And so there's probably around twenty two thousand and change new firstborns that have come out of the womb and are now unredeemed. They have not been passed over, and so this they are they're unpurchased. And right. so that's what we see. He's at count the number of firstborn, possibly one solution, who right. have been born since the Exodus right. or since the Passover, and then we'll set a redemption price for them. And so what the redemption price was is the Levites. And so this, the tribe of the Levites, who's not one of the 12 tribes, they are set apart for the tabernacle of the Lord, to work the tabernacle of the Lord. And so he says one for one, instead of requiring the firstborn of every family to come work at the tabernacle. Instead, I'm going to have Levite number one work for family tribe person number one and work okay. in his stead. So what you're saying then is there's 22,000 Levites. Levites. That's right. And Levite for Levites, period. Yes. And then there's, or fighting age, yeah. census and, and capable. Per, yeah. And perhaps firstborn Levites, maybe, you know, okay. like, you know, but I mean, 22,000 for one tribe, it could be a smaller tribe. That's, that's not crazy. Right. Or in specifically, specifically between, oh, between 20, 20. Oh yeah. That works right. then. Yeah. 22, yeah. Fighting age Levites. Yes. And then among the entire nation, there's 22,273 right. firstborns. Yep. And so, so there's one for one up to 22,000 yep. because and, there's 22,000 yep. Levites. And so 273 of them have to be redeemed with money. Right, and so you see at the at the end of chapter three, there's a price set, and that money is brought to the tabernacle to pay for the firstborn of those two hundred seventy three leftovers. So why do you have to pay? 
We uh, talked about yeah. this in Leviticus. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like there's a there's a price of redemption that has to that has to be paid. And like this is it's not like God needs the money. Right. It's for us to realize that um my relationship with God, my purity before him costs something. We are not our own. We're not we're, our own. We're bought with a price. Right, yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and so um I think that's a really solid answer to the firstborn number issue. Is that, that is. it's those who have been born since the Exodus. Um I think it's a solid answer. Uh, so like yeah. verse forty three says, and all the firstborn males according to the number of names. What does that mean? It could mean that um, they they wrote all their names down, and so as they you, you can imagine someone with a you know a scroll walking through every tribe, going, "Who's the firstborn of your house? Mm. Issachar," and you know right. writing the name Issachar down. Who's the name? Who's firstborn of your house? Gad. Okay, great. And then they went through and counted all the number of names that they wrote down, and according so to the number of names like, was per- potentially then there was a form of a census before this census. Like Moses, when he, in Exodus 18, when he like established the mm-hmm. all the 70 elders right. for the nation of Israel, these elders, trying to be responsible elders for their people, said, okay, I need to know who my constituents are. Right. So they went to their tribe, and they said, okay, write down the names of everybody in your family, particularly the firstborn, so we can help adjudicate matters when yep. inheritance issues come about. So they the elders of Israel have a vested interest in knowing who the firstborns of all the families are. Definitely. And so in that sense, then it would make so according to the number of names, there might have been a book called The, the number, number of, of names. names. It could be. They were referring to a document, maybe. And yeah. then and that would make sense. It would only be the firstborns since Right. Because uh, they were like, that person's not in here. That's right. a new one. Right. But yeah, that's very possible. Potentially. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh and then um easily filled the promised land right away was the third was the third problem, but we've talked about Manhattan and right. I think that's fine. Uh and then the rounding. All the rounding that takes place. Yeah. Now there is, a, there is some. There are some that don't end in double zero, right? And yeah, so yeah. a lot of people say that what's happening here is hyperbolic, you know, where like the numbers have been inflated, maybe by a factor of ten, maybe by a factor of a hundred. Okay. But if you divide some of these numbers by a hundred, the ones that end in like five, right, end up having a decimal remainder. Yeah. Which is like, well, that can't be right then. So it, it actually causes some problems for people who want to say that it's a hyperbolic and multiplication. It would be inconsistent because some are 54,400, but then it's 22,273. Exactly. Or like, so like, it's like, what? There seems to be a specificity mm-hmm. in one section right. that's not necessarily yes. expected in another. And I think for me, this problem is solved by something else that I've learned just by studying the Bible more broadly is that. We in the West in the 21st century have a value on precision. Yes, that was not sh- that has not been shared by all times and all cultures. Even now, yeah, yeah, even now. And I think the other thing we need to remember is that numbers in the Bible can be historically accurate and symbolic. Right. So, was Jesus choosing 12 tribes symbolic or historically accurate? Twelve disciples, you mean? Twelve, yeah. What did I say? Tribes. Oh yeah, twelve yeah. disciples. Yeah, you're, well, there we go. Right, There's yeah, your yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. The answer is yes. Yes. It was completely symbolic, but he actually cho- chose twelve disciples. Um, yeah. You know, and so like that's. Or it's really the difference between, between say I live uh, seven point eight six miles from Bridgeway. Oh. Or right. like I live about nine miles away from Bridgeway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, like both are accurate. Right. Yeah. They're just different One ways. One is exact. The the point is, is about the truthfulness of the claim. Yes. In what it's intended. Uh, in that statement, the difference between 7.86 and about nine miles, 
I'm trying to communicate to you a truth yes. about my distance to Bridgeway. Right. And there are actually multiple ways I can say that. Mm-hmm. It's 7.86. It's about nine miles. Yep. It's as, little, the, as the crow flies or depending like, on which route you take. It's about 20 yeah. minutes. Like all those communicate about my distance. Like, mm-hmm. like communicate the same truth. Right. So here in numbers, what is being communicated? Yep. The number of people in Israel, yep. the number of fighting age men, right. a comparison. Like I think I don't even know necessarily like – Yep. Why are they all rounded? Well, obviously, he's trying to communicate us to us something. Maybe it's how many fighting age men can we roughly expect if we go into war? Right. And so if I'm the commander in chief, I don't need to know 222,273. What I need <laughs> to know is you have about 22,000 men right. in this tribe. You have about 50, 55,000 in this yep. tribe. And that says, okay, I have 600,000 men at my disposal. Right. I don't need to know yeah. 600,579. Yeah. Right. Maybe, yeah, so maybe yeah, yeah, definitely. If definitely. it's a military census, right. that would make sense. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to communicate to you actionable intel right. for a military campaign. Yep. Yeah, maybe. It, maybe. Okay. Yeah. This is my, that was my long winded yeah. explanation. No, it's to good. Try to I get think it's really it. helpful. And and there are still some scholars uh, you know, that think this is accurate and historical and you know, the problem is a lot another one of the problem is that like a lot of the civilizations at this time just weren't this big. You know, right, like or, like right. the land, like some of these other countries are like ten thousand people, twenty thousand people. So it makes what happened in Exodus they increase and multiply. Yes, m- feel more like a miracle. Right. So let's let's lean into that before I get to this one other crazy thing okay. I want to talk about. So the whole point, why 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 the big number, whether it's historical or inflated, what's being communicated here is something theological, right? Okay. Because God promised Abraham that he would become a great nation. And his offspring would be so numerous that they would they, that trying to count them would be like trying to count the number of stars in the sky. You just couldn't do it. They are an uncountable sum. And so we get to numbers, and what we find is that this is a huge nation. The promise that God made to Abraham has come true, and there's a great nation here. Right. But it also hasn't come true because the nation is counted. Because the promise God made to Abraham is for an uncountable sum. Got it. And here they are in cold, hard data, both we're both seeing the beginning of the fulfillment, but also the fact that it's not quite fulfilled yet. So if you're a care, if you're a thoughtful reader of the book of Numbers, you're like, okay, these numbers, let's just say they weren't intended to communicate a specific truth, yeah. which we would probably say that that's not true. They, they do communicate. They have to have, they have to be communicating some kind of truth. Right. Yes. But let's just take the most liberal interpretation possible. So they're just inflated yep. for no reason except arbitrary reasons. Hubris. Hubris. So, but even then you would be able to say, okay, what's being communicated here is that the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. God is increasing the number beyond anything else yes. in the ancient world. Yes. They are being fruitful and multiplying and taking over the world by sheer force of population. Right. Maybe they were there were fifty kids in each family. Yeah, right. right. Like, maybe, yeah. Like, oh, right, right, like, right. Yeah. Like maybe God. I mean, is, Pharaoh was pretty concerned at like how insane the women were in childbirth. So like <laughs> maybe this is actually happening. Yeah. God is proved. There's a theological point being made. That's true. But at the same moment, hmm. you can say this. You can say, well, the point is God's increasing and multiplying them. Yes. But the fact that they're numbered yeah. should tell you that Abraham's promise has not come true yet. That's right. Yep. So we're getting both of those things happening right Got now. Got it. Which is really interesting. It is interesting. Um, and what's cool is, you know, when you get then to the New Testament, right, 
and um, Jesus is now the like the, the new Abraham. Yeah, and we are his children. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and we take his image around. How many Christians are there in the world? Billions. How many have there been since Jesus came? Uh, it's an uncountable sum. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, like, the promise to Abraham well, is, now, well, that's what's is now true, Revelation. and that's what Revelation says yeah, at yeah. the end is, I looked at, like, first you get the 144,000. He does his own census of the 12 tribes. Right. So we're getting a repeat of numbers oh. here. So he goes through all the 12 tribes, and this tribe I saw this many, and this tribe I saw this many, and it's 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, right? Round numbers. Right. And that's, that's very symbolic, not ac- actual. It's like, this is the complete number of, of this tribe. Yeah, the, all, every single person from the tribe of Nephtali is now in. Right. right, every person from the tribe of Asher is now in. Everyone's here. Right. Okay. And then he's like, but then I looked out on those tr- on those tribes, and what did I actually see? Not one hundred forty four thousand. What I actually saw is an uncountable multitude. Hmm. And like, there it is, the fulfillment of the promise right. to Abraham. And as, yeah, as crazy as the numbers might seem here, yeah, as unbelievable as the numbers might seem here, yeah. there is still a greater number of people. Who will be around the throne room of God? Yes, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And so, um, yeah. So that's some some of the issues that's happening here. So we yep. kind of spent a long. T- so like, if you're the nerdy type and have like yep. wondered about all the mm. theological implications and the difficulties in the text, I hope that was helpful for you. Yep. But for the average person, they've just logged <laughs> through Leviticus. Yep. They're trying to read through their Bible and they're trying to make it meaningful to to them. How do you read the first three chapters? And find them encouraging. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't even talked about the arrangement of the camp, which is <laughs> yeah. also very which encouraging. Which is the, what the text talks about. <laughs> yeah. So I think that what we just said is encouraging. What yeah. you should know as you're reading this is that God's promises are being fulfilled. Yes. Abraham, the nation of Israel is expanding at a faster rate. It's increasing and multiplying. Yep. Probably miraculously. Miraculously. Maybe in competition to all the other surrounding nations. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. But regardless... You should know God is completing the Edenic work of being fruitful and multiplying, and they're on their way to the new Eden. And That's you should right. see that in the numbers. Yep. You should see that. Cra- those crazy numbers that are rounded up to say... God is fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham. Yep. And that's that's what's being communicated right, right off the bat. Okay, let me say one last thing about numbers, then we'll talk about okay. arrangement of the camp, and we'll be done. Okay. Okay, one last thing. This is, I, I'm not convinced of it yet, okay. but it's too cool to not just mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was reading um, Winham. Uh, yeah. Gordon Winham, a great conservative evangelical scholar, um, and he actually spent a lot of time talking about this crazy interpretation, which I, I say crazy because it sounds crazy, but it's actually quite sane. Yeah. It sounds like a weird blog you would read online, okay. but it's actually like a well-attested scholarly report that a lot of people have kind of hopped on and said, yeah. oh, that actually sounds like it could be possible. All right, so in ancient Mesopotamia, Okay. Before the time of like Israel and like maybe while they were enslaved or whatever, yeah. there was this um, mathematical system that was developed um, based on astronomy. Okay. Okay. So like they would measure the distance between the stars and the sky. What? How long was a, a lunar year? Right. How long was a um, oh, what's the other year? Solar year. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and they they would like measured these things meticulously. And it's called the sexagesimal system. OK. OK. <laughs> so like continue. Hang with me. <laughs> um, but what's really interesting here is um, if you ran these numbers. Right. Of the population of each tribe through the sexagesimal system of Mesopotamia, which was contemporary with this time and widespread throughout the known empires of the ancient yeah. Near East they actually end up corresponding 
to lunar years, solar years, the distance to Saturn, the distance to Venus, all these things. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And so think about this, right? What did God say in 15.5, Genesis 15.5 to Abraham? Your, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, right? What, what did he call Jacob's sons <laughs> at the end of Genesis? He says, Jacob, your sons are like the star and the moon and the, sky, and the, and the sun, right? And then, uh, and then he often talks about like how God's heavenly hosts are the stars mm-hmm. and Israel is his earthly host. They're a reflection of the stars in heaven. And so what's happening here is what he's saying is like, you are my heavenly host here on earth. You, you are the stars in the sky that I've put here on earth. You are, you are heaven and earth coming together. You are where heaven dwells, Israel. Based on the... <laughs> Isn't that well, crazy? That's, I mean, well, that feels like a great answer. It's a, to good, all, to it's all a good answer. The, to all these yeah. things we've been talking about. And yep. it's the one that kind of makes me worship the most. I know, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's not the best litmus test. But like, yeah, it, this is... There are some problems with the right. dude's math. Right, so there's okay. some like, there's some problems. Okay. And it also, and, and, and by say some, very few actually, the, some of the biggest questions are one, how did slaves find out about the sexagesimal system? Right? Right. But my response to that would be, well, Moses wrote the Torah and he was trained in Pharaoh's house. Right. So he definitely would have had access to this, to this knowledge. So Moses reflecting on Abraham, mm-hmm. meditating on Abraham's promise. Yep. I mean, he your, wrote it down. Your, your, uh, your, you will number the stars be, in the sky. So the stars in the sky. Yeah. It's like, well, I know this whole system based on numbering. Yep. That's about, about the stars. stars. And I could see the fulfillment of God's promise right here, right now in our people. And so let me communicate to you the point that God is fulfilling the promise to increase and multiply this family to Edenic levels. Yeah. To like, to their, perf- so I mean, again, we said the first 10 chapters of Numbers are really optimistic. Like this is like, it feels yeah, like- the very f- optimistic, yeah. feels like the f- fulfillment of Eden. They're about to go into the new Eden, into the new promised land. So it would make sense for Abraham to come to the people and say, this is God's new covenant community. We will inherit a new Eden and we will live with God forever. He's actually right here already. Yep. What was God's promise? The, the people of Israel would be like the stars in the sky. And we actually have a whole system of thinking about the universe that that actually corresponds to. Right. Well, so like we have a, th- a theory of the universe. And so I'm just going to pretend that that's true for a second yep. and put it here and said, look, we are like the stars in the sky. Yep. Not maybe because it's numerically accurate, right. but because it's faithful to what God is actually doing among Israel in that moment. And what's crazy is it could be both. Mm, right. I, I, and I think that's, right, right, right. for me, I think that's the coolest thing is that, and that's why I wanted to spend so much time arguing for the historical accuracy of these numbers, that they're actually tenable because I, there's no reason why in God's sovereignty, and we see it all throughout the Bible, right. that historically accurate numbers end up being theologically significant numbers. Mm, right, right, And that can happen here. And so I think that like that should actually double down on the fact that God's being faithful and being sover- sovereignly working in his right. nation. Is he saying, like, I have miraculously grown you into this super nation, and when I count you, let me show you what happens. It ends up corresponding to the stars in the sky. Like, that's right. pretty cool. Anyway, that's super fascinating. Yeah. It makes me think of like the um, Sumerian king list and the genealogy in Genesis. Yep, it's you. We, you definitely should be thinking about that so right now. If you haven't listened to our episode on, I guess what that's Genesis five and six. Yep. Um, there's these ancient lists of kings, and they're living for thousands and thousands of years, and so hundreds and hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of right. years. And in the uh, um, in Genesis, you have all these people living for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yep. 
And in the Sumerian king's list, it was to prove to you that these God, these people are divine. Look at them. They're living for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They're clearly divine, aren't they? Right. And then you read about the patriarchs of the Hebrew religion, of the followers of Yahweh, yeah. and you have the same thing happening. Surely these are the gods. <laughs> right. But what you hear is they die is they died, yep. and he died, and he died, and he died. So the, when you read Genesis, you're not asking, why are they living so long? If you're an ancient-minded person, mm-hmm. you're asking, why are all these divine beings dying? Right. Why are the representatives of God, the yes. image bearers of God, right. dying after dying? Like, dying? Yep. That's what you should be thinking. Right, and what you're saying, I'm, I'm thinking, right. is, is did they live that long? Or, or was that, is that historically accurate or theologically accurate? And it's like, there's no reason why both can't be true. Right. I would probably side on the fact that I think it's a theological point, right. not a yeah. physical age point. I don't necessarily think yeah. that Methuselah lived 986 years, yeah. but I don't, also don't think that my, my faithful reading of the Bible is inherent on that, dependent on right. that. But it's also not like, but he also could have. But he also could have. Right. It's like, I'm, I'm, I don't care right. if he actually lived that long or not. What, what, what matters is what is the point God is trying to communicate through it. Right. We believe that that is an inspired number. Right. And that God meant that number when he, when he inspired Moses exactly to write right. it. But the, the real reason what, what you're saying is what's the theological point? So the same thing is happening here in Numbers. I'm more concerned about the theological, theological point, point. Not, not whether or not there were 603,000 people. The, if there was 603,000 people, great. Amazing. If there were not... The theological point still stands. We can worship. God is faithful <laughs> yes. to his promises right. to create a people that is numerous as the stars yep. in the sky. And so let's think about that. Like, I want to like lean into the New Testament a little bit and just think about the fact that like, like we look at the population of the world, 7 billion people nearing 8 soon, you know, whatever. And it's like, how can we reach them? You know, like, and like, will God's people be found among the nations? Will God grow his church? Um, in Saharan Africa and right. in communist China and, you know, like, yeah. you know, like uh, in, in, in Russia, in, in North Korea, yeah. in Oklahoma, <laughs> like, and, and it's like, needs Jesus. it really needs Jesus. <laughs> but it, it, you do, you, you read this and you're like, man, there's nothing God can't do. Cause he grew a nation of 603,000 people while they were enslaved and Pharaoh was trying to kill their kids. And he made a great nation out of them. Yeah. There's nothing he can't do. And now we have... I mean, we still see the same story played out mm. in places like China. Yes. The underground church movement, it's even booming. as it's being oppressed by the pharaoh yes. uh, Xi Jinping, yep. it is exploding. Right. It yeah. is exploding. That's right. The nation, the story of Israel is still happening yep. around the world. The number, the, the, the like ticker of the number of Christians in the world just keeps turning over and keeps right. growing. Um, and I, th- I think we should be encouraged by this number that we see here at the opening of In the Wilderness. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to call it that from now on. Into, into, the, the, into the wilderness. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, let's just end real quick and talk about um, the uh, arrangement of the tribes around the camp so that yeah. that way when we come back, we can do chapter four. <laughs> Great. Um, so so yeah. if you're reading this and you want to be encouraged, the first thing that you should know is that we're going to the New Eden. Yes. And second, that these numbers are proving that God is faithful to his promise to Abraham to create a nation that is numerous as the stars in the sky. Mm -hmm. And the third, which we're about to talk about, is that God is still living in the middle of his people. Yes. And the whole structure of the two million-ish people uh, of Israel is built around God's presence being at the center. (laughs) 
So the, the next arduous thing that might be hard to read is how God arranges Israel around his camp. So first, he, I mean, God's like acting like a city planner. Right. And so he's like, let me count how many people I have and then let me like arrange them in a certain way. And the way he arranges them also has deep theological significance. You hinted at the most important one already. The numbers. Uh, in no, the book no, of numbers. No, no, <laughs> the, the centrality of the presence of God. That is what God is going to hammer home these next two chapters, chapter two and chapters three. And really throughout the next, uh, all the way through chapter 10, is that over and over again, we see that God is at the center of the camp. And so there's the tabernacle in the middle, and then he sets up um, there, uh, four tribes on the north, four tribes on the south, uh, three, three tribes on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west, that kind yeah. of thing. And so that way all the 12 tribes are around him. So it should look like, in your mind, think of like a cross. A cross, yep. And in the not mid- like a, we're not, not going to make a Jesus turn no, there. There's no, not one. But like, just think of like a T. Think of a <laughs> yes, T, right, a lowercase a T. T. <laughs> a lowercase T. <laughs> and in the yes. middle of that T, in at, the, at the, at the, at the crosses. Yep. Mm-hmm. is the temple of the Lord. That's right. And so God's presence is with his people. Like right. that is what he's like, come around me, guys. Or you think about concentric circles. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You have a dot in the middle, uh-huh. the presence of the Lord, first tribe, second tribe, third tribe, or yeah, third, kind of, third ring of tribes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, see I see what, what you mean. mean. I see what you mean. But yeah, but if we do that, we miss the next really cool thing. Okay, okay. Is that in between the tribes of Israel and um, the temple of the Lord, there is a ring. Okay. And it's the Levites form a ring around the tabernacle. Right. And and <laughs> when you say a ring, one a section of the family in the north, section of the family in the south. Yep. He separates the, the Levites too. Yeah. And they are to form a but he actually says to form a barrier around mm-hmm. the temple, around the tabernacle. Okay. okay. And he's it's crazy. This language blows my mind. He says, so that you, the Levites, might bear the wrath. Like so you might bear the sins of the people. Yeah, in one fifty three it says, But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle mm-hmm. of the testimony. And I guess the tabernacle of the testimony means the tabernacle that holds the little ta- tablets, the, the tablet, Ten the testimony yeah, of God, yeah, yeah. the words of God. So that there may be no wrath on mm-hmm. the congregation of the people of Israel, and the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Right. And then uh later in like in chapter three, it says that uh, chapter three thirty eight says that Moses and Aaron actually sit at the entrance of the tent of meeting to guard the sanctuary itself and protect. What would you expect right. to follow? To protect the sanctuary or to you know right? Right, like they're the guard, they're the guardians of the temple. Yeah, and it's like yeah. no, you can't come in here. This is sacred space, and no, that's not what's said. It's to protect the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's to keep them safe because well, just before this, it actually reminds us of what yeah. happened to Nadab and Abihu. Right, and it goes back to what we said in, throughout Leviticus. Leviticus, yeah. Like God's holiness is like the surface of the sun, mm-hmm. and unless you're pro- unless you have a, a, a pr- are properly prepared mm-hmm. with the you have the right technology to enter the surface of the sun, you'll be burned up. Yep. So God's holiness, His presence, His life, His light is in there, and the priests act as a buffer around it, saying, "We will mediate bet- between mm-hmm. p- the people and the temple and God's presence." Right. So uh, that when when wrath apparently is supposed to break out, right. it should fall on the Levites. Yes. And they are the enemy. And that's actually, when we get to chapter like 16, it is the tribe of Korah, which is one of the tribes of Levi, that are the first to be burned up. Mm. And they actually do this. But they don't do it because they're protecting the people. They do it because they're sinning themselves. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is like a, a picture of what should have happened, but in right. reverse. Anyway. Yeah. So they're um, mediating yeah. between they're mediating. the people right. and God's holy presence. Right. And they're the, the buffer 
the trans the transaction, yep. which I don't like that word right, to describe yeah. it, but it's like is an animal. And anyway, yep. Uh, and so I mean, it's amazing then to to kind of like think about this. So you have the the tribes are on the outside, and they're in God's presence. It's the good place to be. But you talked about concentric circles. That's what's happening here. Yeah. Is there's God's holiness in the middle, the ring of Levites around them, and then the tribe of Israel around them. Right. And um, what's amazing, I mean, if you think about the gospel in the New Testament here, where it's like. Israel was around the tab- the temple, yeah. You know, um, and 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 then there was supposed to be like the the priests there at the yeah. temple, and then there's one more concentric circle oh, okay. about, because there's the God's presence, yep. The Levites, yep. Israel, and then the rest of the world, yes. So like, yes, there's yes, one yes. more concentric circle. Mm-hmm. It's like this is an outpost in a pagan. Mm. A pagan world, right? And as Israel marches, and they're supposed to take the presence of God to the nations. Right. Right. And so Jerusalem stays in the center mm. and the concentric circles grow in yeah. like distance from each other. But the idea is that as Israel grow, the boundaries of Israel grow, mm-hmm. the boundaries of God's presence grow. Yes. Yeah. And like, and amazing then in like Acts 1-8, what, what's said, like take this news, right, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. That's yeah. the concentric circles yeah. from Jerusalem out into the nations. Yeah. Um, and so, but then in the gospel... All that gets like not reversed because we still do that. Right. We are still God's outpost. Now we're the tabernacle itself. We are dwelt with God. Right. You know, and then we act as a holy buffer to the world where we right. and we say, come, you know, enter yeah. in. And so we still go out to the nations. But what's crazy is Jesus brings them all in, brings us all in. He comes to the nations, he goes to people in Samaria. Well, instead, of, yeah. instead of humans expanding the kingdom. The temple itself is expanded and stretches mm, over the whole world. Right, by dwelling in humans. By dwelling in humans. Oh, so crazy. So instead of the temple being the locus, the center, the smallest point of the presence of God, yep. got the tent of meeting, the tent of God's presence actually stretched out and covers the entire world yes. and encompasses all people. Right. It's amazing that and it just also just makes when Jesus rips the veil at his death, right. it makes that so much more significant because it's like we were he was outside the city yeah right outside the walls of jerusalem he was not encamped around the tabernacle and yeah. yet because of his death we enter through the tribes through the holy buffer cuz he's our holy buffer now right and into the holy of holies where yeah. the testimony is and it's like and which is why the first person mark to say that jesus is god is a, is a centurion that's right and the first pe- people to see jesus at uh resurrected are three women yep so it's like people who would not have had access those who are outside to the, those who not e- weren't even numbered in the census right are those that come in yeah that's really cool uh and so the uh, i guess the other really in, uh, somewhat interesting thing to talk yeah. about with the arrangement of the tribes these are marching orders like this is how to march you know it's like yeah how would they get this many people across the, the wilderness right, right, right well it's like this like yeah. here's your answer like there's organization uh but then uh what's really interesting is uh the the the, the firstborn uh son of jacob was reuben right mm-hmm. and and yet he is not given the place of prominence in the arrangement of the camp uh yeah the the closest the the tent faced toward the east Toward the sunrise. Toward the sunrise. Exactly right. And so that was where the opening was. And other than Moses it went Moses and Aaron and then the Levites, and then the, the tribe that was closest to the opening flaps of the tabernacle yeah. is the tribe of Judah. Yeah. And they are given the place of prominence among all the other tribes. Um, they are the ones who are the closest to the opening of the tabernacle. 
And uh, I just, I think it is somewhat interesting that that's the tribe that Jesus comes from. Yeah. And he's the one who brings us to the opening of right. the tabernacle. Yeah. And lets us in through the, through the east. And the reason why that should be significant, mm-hmm. like towards the sunrise, towards the east, is that all throughout Genesis, mm-hmm. and I think even Exodus, although I can't remember. I can't remember. Mainly, definitely Genesis. But definitely Genesis, like to the east mm-hmm. is always a sign of judgment. So like the Adam and Eve are cast east of Eden. Mm-hmm. Cain goes east of his parents mm-hmm. into the land of Nod. And every time you go east... You're going farther from the promised land. You're going farther and farther from the promised land. So now that they're going east into the promised land, feels strange. Right. You should be, wait, wait, when you go east... West? <laughs> you, go, you should be going west to get yeah. back to Eden. <laughs> but it's almost as if like they've circled the entire world and they continue to go east and now they're about to enter into... Right. Eden again. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Like the circle is completing itself. That's right. why it's so optimistic. Like we're right. fi- we've gone east far enough. Yeah, <laughs> that the Lord has brought us back and He's bringing us back yeah. to Eden. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's like we we just and it's like in their sin. It's like they just kept sinning so much that God was just infinitely merciful to bring them all the way around the world to Himself again. It's like yeah, I mean that's so what a great picture. Like we always go east of Eden. Yeah, we always leave the Garden of Eden. We always com- continue to, to commit the sin of Adam and Eve, and we'll keep going east and east and east and east and east until we've gone east far enough that the Lord will save us Mm. and going east will actually bring us back to Eden. Yeah. Like he will discipline us. Yep. He will punish us for our sin. There will be, or there will be a buffer between us and him. Yeah. And when we pass through that buffer, Mm -hmm. we will actually get back to the Eden we were kicked out of. That's right. Yeah. Well, there's some there's some numbers. There's some numbers. There's some numbers. So we'll uh, we'll look at chapter four and on next week. Um, but uh, this has been fun, and uh, my brain hurts a little bit after all the counting. But uh, man, get get into numbers. Get past yeah. chapter ten. I would just yeah. beg you guys. It's like an action movie later on, and it's really interesting. And there's so many Christ figures in the book of Numbers that we're gonna look at. So I'm excited to start it. I really am. Um, and uh, so yeah, keep keep plugged in, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So, to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit spokengospel.com. Mm-hmm.